Good morning, family. It's a little cold outside. As uh, Levi said, I think it's going to snow, and we're like, eh, it's not quite that cold, but to you, because you've never experienced anything else, it sure feels like it. So enjoy the coffee. I've already had plenty to warm up, um, but um, I think it actually helps with this sermon. Um, as you know, we've been walking through a sermon uh, series, just, hi, I'm your inner world, right? We're This idea that one of our longings, right, as we're looking to the future, as we're looking to God's grace that he has given us this building in this new chapter that we're excitingly stepping forward into, that the reality is if we don't do the hard work within our hearts, that we will step in there not quite ready for what God wants to do. That we'll step in there trying to pick up the pieces, trying to pick up the brokenness, and not actually able to step into the grace that he's provided us. And I found a quote this week as I was doing my, um, my, my uh, sermon prep and just by Charles Spurgeon. It says, God's way of dealing with men begins with, and works towards, begins with the interior and works towards the exterior in due course. And that is our prayer. That is our hope this whole series. We have one more week next week uh, when Mucci's back. That is, we would do the work, internal work, that God would do that work within us, within our hearts, within our souls, within our beings, so that we would then be motivated and able to actually do the work on the exterior in a way that's healthy, in a way that's whole, in a way that's good. Because if, we're, if we don't do the work on the inter, we can do a lot of work on the exterior, but then we ask ourselves what happened in the end. We're picking up our marriages, we're picking up our friendships, we're picking up our family because it's all been falling apart because we haven't done the internal work that we needed. And so this week is actually the last week in this kind of mini series within the series of suffering and pain, right? Muchi started it. Carlos knocked it out last week. Um, loved your sermon. I'm just going to say thank you. Um, but just really beginning this conversation of what does it mean to lament is something you've heard the last two weeks, and I'm going to continue again this week. We have to get comfortable with lament. If we're truly going to be a people that's whole on the inside to do the work on the outside, we have to be utterly comfortable with lament. As um, Carlos said last week, the Psalms is a book that we like to enjoy and read a lot in our devotional time, right? Because they're pretty short, they're pretty easy. A third of those are songs of lament. Some of them are songs of lament because of my personal sin, right? Like, I have brought upon the pain and suffering that I'm dealing with because I've sinned, because I've sinned against God, because I've sinned against others. Some of it's, it's a corporate song of lament where because of the systems, because of the structures that we exist in, we are feeling suffering and pain. We are feeling injustice. We are feeling pressed upon. We are feeling pushed down. This is a corporate, a, a communal song of lament. The, the songs of lament will meet us anywhere and everywhere that we are. And so our psalm this morning is going to be Psalm 77. Um, and so I'm going to read it, and then we're going to, I'm going to kind of give you some background. So Psalm 77, it's, it reads like this. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever? 
Will he never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like ours? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, will, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water and the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world and the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea and your path was through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let us pray. Lord God, this is our cry. This is my cry. Have you forgotten us? Have you forgotten to be gracious? The answer is no, because you have given us your word as we read it even this morning. You have given us your word so that we can see the honesty and rawness of emotions. Now we see that you're not afraid. You've given us your word because it is the source of hope when there seems to be no hope found. Comfort when there is no comfort to be found. So Lord God, I pray that your word, Lord God, that your word be rooted deep into our hearts this morning. God, that you would stir our affections for you. Because it's in you, you are the rock of our salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So just a little backstory. Um, a few weeks ago, about a month ago, um, Muchi approached me and said, hey, you know, I want you to preach uh, in this sermon series. You have two choices. You can either do uh, suffering, lament, or you can do whatever your favorite psalm. To be honest, I don't necessarily have a favorite psalm, uh, so that was easy. But the reality is I was quick to say, hey, let me do suffering and pain, because that's kind of where I was. Um, and just a little bit of honesty, if you know anything about me and Ashley, we just brought home our third son six weeks ago, which typically is a cause of great joy and celebration, right? The, the woo. Um, but can I be honest? Sometimes bringing home children is one of the saddest and most depressing things you can do. I found myself in the hospital staring at the window Wondering what I was doing. Realizing that I was unworthy to be given a child. And that there are many, probably even in this room, that are longing for children that God has not opened the womb. Yet I am taking home a third. And I messed up inside. My spiritual life was not where it needed to be. It's still not. I was utterly depressed. 
yet it's supposed to be this time of great joy and celebration. And how much of our life is like that? These times where we should be celebrated, we should be happy, yet all we can see is darkness. Or all that we experience around us is tragedy. And that's exactly what the psalmist here is experiencing in this moment. One of the great joys and graces of, of the psalms is that 90% of them don't actually tell you what was going on when this psalm was written. Do you know why? This is, I'm not saying write it down, but to me this is, if we knew what the situation was, it'd be very easy for us to write it off as if it didn't apply to mine. But one of the great graces that God has given us in the Psalms is that they do not tell us what was going on because the truths apply no matter what the situation is, no matter whether it's an institutional injustice or a pain and suffering that I have brought on because of my own sin. Right? We see that even in, in David, the, the, the sin of sleeping with Bathsheba and then having her, her husband killed and then now taking her as his wife. He writes a psalm of lament. Yet this was sin that brought this pain and suffering upon him. Yet God welcomes the pain and questions and provoking because he's big enough. Because he loves us. And one of the interesting things about this psalm is it's not a psalm of David. It's actually a psalm of Asaph, if you see that in the title. I'm not sure if you know who Asaph was. Asaph was basically your hipster uh, worship leader, right? Think of, well, actually, let's, we don't have hipsters here. We have Mao. So Mao was our worship leader, right? Uh, I'm bringing her up because we actually asked her this on Wednesday, um, right? We oftentimes see the people of Diamond as well, right? Up here singing songs of praise, and they have smiles on their face. And it's so easy for us to be like, they got it all figured out. They've got it all figured out, which is why they can sing that. But from the words of Mal on Wednesday, she said, oftentimes, even as she's singing, she's having to remind herself of the truth she's trying to lead us in. That's what this worship leader in the temple is doing. He is honest with the pain, yet he's also leading others into the reality of the pain as well. And that there is a way forward. And so I think one of the lies is that we can look at preachers up here or those that are singing and be like, they got it all together. But the reality is we are all weary wonders in this life. And Asaph is our guide this morning. And so I want us to notice really four movements, right? Um, so the first is going to be uh, in the first three verses, just so you know, it works really well with the Selah. Selah, there's a lot of debate what that means, but there's a really, it's like a pause, because this is really an internal wrestle that's going on. And for some of this, this internal wrestle, this four-step process may happen in a day. Some of us, this may happen in a month, maybe a week. For some of this, this literally may be the wrestle for the rest of our life. And that's why I said at the beginning, we have to get really comfortable with this. Because one of the things, lament, it does not promise deliverance. It does not promise this, here, take this pill and you're going to be delivered from your situation. But what it does promise is dependence upon the one that can. Because that, that deliverance may come today. That deliverance may come at the end of the week. That deliverance may not come until you die. That's what the scriptures tell us, that we will not fully experience the promise that Christ has given us until we meet him face to face. 
which means this life until then is going to be hard, it's going to be frustrating, it's going to be painful. But we're not alone in the journey. And so may we, like Moses and Exodus, say, God, if you do not go with us, we don't want deliverance. Because if I get deliverance and you do not come with me, I'm no better off. But if I don't get deliverance until I meet you face to face, but you're with me every step of the way, that's better than all. May that be our story. May that be our cry as we take these four steps this morning. And so step number one is found in verses one through three. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without worrying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. And when I meditate, my spirit faints. So the underlying thing at the very beginning is that we must first turn to God. It is honestly of the four steps that we're going to cover. It is the hardest step. It is the hardest step because it's an intentional step towards something and away from something else. It's towards God because we only believe that he can bring us the comfort that we need in the shadow of death, as Psalm 23 tells us. But how often do we take that step first? Right? When I was thinking through this, there's really three other places we can turn. If we don't turn to God, where can we turn? For one's the world, right? This is typically where the church sits, right? Oh, don't, don't do drugs, don't drink, don't do these things, right? And there's a reality to that because what those things are doing, not only are they providing pleasure, but 90% of the time, they're actually helping numb the pain that we're experiencing. The alcohol lets me kind of feel sobriety from the pain and feel its release and freedom in the world, right? Going to the clubs, doing these things, even things such as exercise and CrossFit, like we can do these as a way, hey, I'm healthy, I'm good, but the reality is I'm, I'm feeling pain and suffering inside, and so I'm trying to numb it. I'm trying to numb it with all these things that the world promises to give me, whether it's wealth and prosperity, whether it's drugs and alcoholic, the, in, the list is endless. And that's the, the, that's the reality of our heart. We can make anything help us a little bit, but they never satisfy for very long, which is why we continue to go back and go back, or we try something else, we try to move on to something new, because it's never going to satisfy. But the second thing that we can do, and this one's pretty deceptive, especially in the church, is that we can actually turn to others. Hear me? All our suffering and pain, it's a communal project. We need one another. But there's, especially within the church, there's an uh, opportunity for us to look to our brothers and sisters. Hey, I'm going to go to you for counsel. Hey, I'm going to go for you. And the reality is we just want them to kind of be around us. And especially if we really look at those, those, those relationships, those brothers and sisters, they're simply encouraging us. They're not going to press us when we need to be pressed. They're not going to rebuke us when we need to be rebuked. They're not going to call us out when we are actually the result, the causer of our sin, right? We're looking for this community of others that kind of make us feel good, make us feel okay that kind of block out the pain that we're experiencing, to block out the suffering that we're in the midst of. We, we create this little insinuated, this community. That's why, like, if you ever, uh, people that have, deal with, like, codependency issues, one of the issues, like, you'll see them, and they'll go through pain and suffering. They'll be actually experiencing abuse, but for them, the pain and suffering 
that they're feeling internally, that they get fulfilled in this person, far, is far greater than the physical pain that they're now experiencing at the hands of that abuser. The internal pain and turmoil that they're experiencing is far greater than the physical. That, and so for them, release means actually more pain and more suffering, so I'm going to stay in it. And we can do that so often. We'll, we'll surround ourselves with others that are actually leading us to the only one that can bring us hope. But then the, the last thing that we can do, the third option, we can actually turn inward. We can turn to ourselves and we can help justify the pain that we're going through. Oh, this is just my sin and misery, right? So I just got to grit my teeth and sit under it. I can't say anything to anyone. I can't do anything about it. I've just got to deal with it until it ends. That's a lie. It's a lie of the devil. And it's a lie that we and me in the church oftentimes sit under. It's my fault. I've got to deal with it. It's my sin and pain. I've got to deal with it. No one else can help me. No one else needs to be burdened by it. No one else needs to carry that load. I'm just going to sit under it. But all three of those movements are towards somebody that can do nothing for it. We can't do it for ourselves. Our brothers and sisters, our friend can't help us. The world can't satisfy. The only one that can bring comfort is to God. And so there's an intentional act in the midst of the pain and suffering. It's like, I'm going to turn to God. But man... Can we be honest that sometimes when we do, it doesn't bring butterflies and roses. If anything, sometimes it actually exposes more of the pain and suffering that we're going through. And that's what the psalmist says, right? When I remember God, I moan. When I read my Bible, I moan. I'm grieved. I'm in pain. When I go to God in prayer, there's no answer. There's silence. There's despair. Can we be honest? We feel this, but we don't like to say it in church. So I'm going to say it. This, is, this was me. I moan. I'm in despair. I'm in grief. And I feel silence from the Lord. Because one of the things I know is that sitting in silence is actually not helpful. It's more detrimental. We'll never find comfort in silence. I know us introverts think we can, but it's actually one of the most dangerous places to be. And so this quote from Alexander McLaren it says, doubts are better put into plain speech than lying, diffused and darkening, like poisonous mist in the heart of a thought. Good or bad can be dealt with when it is made articulate. But when those doubts, when that pain, when those questions are allowed just to sit there, they don't just sit there. They're doing something destructive to our hearts and our minds. And that is only when we begin to articulate that. It's only when we declare, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. This is the pain I'm going through. Can anything actually be done to it? But if we come in here putting on a show like we got it all together, we don't invite anyone in. We don't invite the Lord in. There is nothing that's going to happen except destruction and pain. And that's why the psalmist doesn't just sit there. He doesn't just sit 
in his moaning and faints, he, he begins to try and move within his thoughts. Hey, why? Like, what is going on? Not just this physical pain, but this internal, like, what are my thoughts? What are I feeling? Like, let me express this pain and suffering in a way that's articulate because it's when articulation comes that, help, that healing can come as well, right? And so he says, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Just so you know, he's saying, the Lord is not bringing comfort to me because one of the greatest remedies in times of pain and suffering is sleep. But what he's saying in this moment is it feels like the Lord is keeping me awake. The Lord is not bringing relief when I feel like I need relief. This is in your Bible. Can we say that to the Lord? Lord, I feel like you are not helping me. I feel alone. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn me forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? It's interesting to note, like, we had the Q&R a few weeks ago, and um, one of the questions was, like, um, something about practical help, right? Because oftentimes when within the church, we're like, hey, go read your Bible and go pray, and you'll be good, right? But 90% of the time when somebody says that, it's actually not coming from a place of care and concern. It's coming from a place like, I don't have time to deal with you, so here you go and goodbye, but the reality is those are actually super practical, the most practical things that we can do. Because we see it even here, right? He says he's crying out to God. So right, right, number one, he knows, hey, I need to be in prayer, right? So he's seeking the Lord in prayer, seeking comfort in prayer. Number two, he's meditating on God and what he's done. But there's no relief being found, right? He's trying to sing songs. That's why we sing in here. Like there's something about a song that stirs within us something that just a simple word does not. And man, he's a worship pastor, right? A worship leader. So I'm assuming he probably really connects with songs. Some of us don't as much that are not as musically talented. This is me. Um, but right, that's like, that would be his like cornerstone. Like, hey, in the deepest, dark, darkest nights, like I'm going to go back to song because that's what warms my heart to the truth, right? But it's not doing anything. Um, he's meditating, right? There's these practices that we often talk about, reading, our, reading the word, meditating on who God is, singing songs of praise, going to God in prayer. These are the most practical things we can do because they are a declaration that the only source of hope is going to be God himself. And God has given us his word and he has given us prayer to access him. We can't go access him through the things of the world. Like we want to go play, play and have fun and numb our pain, but God is not to be found there. He's to be found in his word and in prayer. And those other things are supplementary, but we must be committed to God in prayer. We must be committed to his word, even right when they don't produce anything but moaning and grief. But that didn't stop him from doing it. But the result wasn't what we often picture, which is sunshine and roses and not cold weather, but, right? Like, 
that's what we think is going to happen. We're going to read the word and all, voila, like life is going to be different. And the reality is sometimes in the church, that's kind of how we talk about it. Like the beauty of his word, the beauty of song, but sometimes our hearts don't say no. But I'm going to continue to press on because I know he's there. Not only is he here, but he's also here with us in our midst. And we'll get to that in a second, but we must be people that are committed to the simple things because the reality is it's in the simple things that we fight God. But no relief is found. Did you see what he did find? As he meditated, as he thought, as he pondered, it wasn't joy, it wasn't hope. It was some pretty intense questions. Lord, will you spurn me forever? Will you never again be favorable? Has your steadfast love forever ceased? Are your promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? When was the last time you prayed that? God, have you forgotten to be gracious to me? Have, has your anger so consumed you that you no longer have compassion? This is what he finds when he searches his heart. Raw emotions. And I'm reminded, like, um, as I was just preparing, one of the commentators was talking about there's a fundamental difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. And, man, it rocked me because the reality is, like, I have a Bible degree. I have these things that tell me, man, I should know God and know him well. But you know what seasons of darkness, seasons of pain and suffering tell us? They tell us it doesn't really matter how much fact, how much you know, if you don't actually know him relationally. You can go through your catechisms, if you know what that is as a teaching tool. You can go through your theology books. You can do all these things. But if you don't actually know him personally and relationally, that all dissipates. That all goes away. Oh, yes, I believe in God's providence. Yes, I believe in that God has elected me. Yes, I believe. Like, that crap helps none at all in our times of pain and suffering. None at all. Because, man, if he was the worship pastor in the temple, he knew things about God. He knew the stories of old. But that's not what he found. He found questions. Have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten your covenant that we would be your people and that you would be our, our God, that your love would be ever never-ending, that you would hold us until the time that you come to return? Like, he knows those things, but in this time of night, that knowledge is gone. And he's questioning whether God is actually who he says he has been. This is David's right-hand man. This is his worship pastor when David was the king. And this is what he feels, that God has forgotten him. Not only has God has forgotten him, but God is no longer who he says he was. But the interesting thing about emotions is that they never really stay there, right? 
Because in our times of pain and suffering, like we oftentimes, especially within the church, we approach it very linearly. Okay, step one, step two, step three, freedom. The reality is like one step forward, okay, two steps back. Okay, two steps forward, like three back. Like it is ever flowing and our emotions are the same thing, right? They're, oh, we got it. Okay, we're thinking the right, we're thinking right, we're thinking right. Oh crap, what just happened? All of a sudden I'm off the cliff again, right? About to fall over. And that's what's going on with him. He, he tried meditating on who God was. He tried meditating on the scriptures, and it found nothing but moaning and grief. But he keeps pressing on. He perseveres. He presses on in the, in the midst of pain and suffering. He finds the second thing, right? That actually now begins moving from I, 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 all my pain, all my suffering, all about me, to now you, you, you. It's the same movement in Job, right? You have 38 chapters of I, I, I. And then Job ends with you, you, you. And so we pick up in verses 10, right? Um, then I said, I appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High, right? So that's this idea that the right hand is a signal of power, of strength of God. Like I'm appealing to what God has displayed as strength and power in the past. I remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. And meditate on your mighty deeds. Oh, your way, oh God, is holy. What God is great like ours. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm redeemed people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Man, this is a 360. Have you forgotten to be gracious? Have you forgotten to be loving? Has your anger consumed your compassion? Oh, no, actually, no. Um... You are a wonder worker. You are holy. Who is great like you? You have made known your mind among the peoples. You have covenant with your children, Jacob and Joseph. Man, that's a change. It makes you wonder what happened. What happened? What allows somebody to do that? To go from where are you to, oh yeah, this is who you are. I don't have the answers, just so you know. Um, but the reality is that this truth actually is what he was meditating on before, and it brought nothing but pain and grief. Yet he came back to it again, and it became an opportunity for hope, for comfort, for peace. Because what happened is there was something in the questioning that allowed for this to result. There was a trust and faith in the previous questions that resulted in this, these answers. And so as Mikado Fujimura says, thus rather than having faith in, in, its, in faith itself as a point of certainty that relies on our vo volition only, true faith is a childlike trust in God who allows his children to question them as they might question their earthly parents and to do so in the certainty of the relational knowledge and trust of the Father. What allows him to go from this intense questioning to now the source of hope is that his relationship with the Father was secure. And that even in the darkness, even in the moaning, even in the grief, when his, answers were, his questions were not being answered, he was continually secure in the love of the Father. He was continually secure in the love of the God of Abraham, Isaac, 
and Joseph. He was continuing the love of the father that said, Israel, you will be my children. I will be your father. You will be my people and I will be your God. And as the darkness began to move away, he began to actually see the reality of this God. He got to ex- experience him not just from a head knowledge, but to actual a heart knowledge. But the pain wasn't gone. I think that's one of the dangers in these, in these psalms is that we see the progression and we think all of a sudden his situation changed. There's no reason to think the pain and suffering disappeared. In all likelihood, he's still in that. It's in the midst of the pain. It's not once you get beyond it that you get to this place. It's in the midst of the pain and the suffering that you experience the grace of God. And for some of us, that may be like that. Some of us, that may be weeks and months of perseverance when there seems to be no hope. But there is a day coming when that hope will come. And it must first start in who is God and us understanding that, not just intellectually, but from a heart level. But then that comfort doesn't just come in who God is, but it also comes in what God has done. What God has done. Because sometimes that knowledge never actually helps us. And so we need to reflect on what he's done in the past and be reminded of the, the hope for the future. And the single most important act within Israel is the Exodus story. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Exodus story, right? There's, especially within kids, I was talking to Muchi, I was like, it's interesting growing up watching the Exodus story, like on film, especially kids' film, right? They're, God parts the Red Sea and they walk through it. Some of those, it's like sunshine and it's like super dry and like, it's, it's like you were walking down the beach and it's like the water's there and you just kind of walk. But did you read the description that Asaph had? It's very different. Because what he says is that when the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured forth water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. And the crash of your thunder was in the world. When your lightning lighted up, the world and the earth trembled and shook. This is an intense scene. Like, this is destruction waiting to happen at any moment, right? Most of us in this room have been through hurricanes. What do we do? We hunker down. And if they ever come at night, it's probably the scariest time for them to come, right? Because you can't see them. You don't really know what's going on. All you do is hear. You can see lightning and stuff flashing around. It is the most terrifying thing. This is the situation that they were in. It wasn't this, oh, here's the path and I'm just going to walk through it because that's just perfect. Like life is great. But it's through the waters that they walk through. It's through that at every moment, at every step forward was a step of faith because at every, any moment God could move his hand, that water could cr- come rushing through and it could be Israel that was swept away. And it's not like it was from here to the room. Like this was a long distance they traveled and every Step forward was a step of faith. But it was a step forward through the waters. It was a step forward in our pain and suffering. It's a step forward in the darkness of night. 
But we are so often tempted to try and find an out. Pill to take. Relationship to have. Where some of us end up in suicide. Because we don't know how to take the next step. We don't know how to take the next step forward. The reality is it's only by the grace of God that we can. Because as we read that it, your way was through the sea and your path was through the water, yet your footprints were unseen. God was not there walking in front of them. He made the way and he asked them to take one step at a time, trusting that he was who he said he would be. He would do what he said he would do. Is this where we're at this morning? That we don't, we don't know what we're going to get out of where we're at. For some of us, we just got out of something painful and, and, and suffering. But the reality is we look back and we don't really know how we got here. This is how. God led you like a flock. By the hand of Moses and Aaron. Yeah, he wasn't there physically walking with you, but he used people in your life to help you take that next step. And I'll be honest, we talked a little bit on this on on Wednesday in our city group. Community is messy. And some of our help is going to lead us astray. Some of our help is going to create great cause of pain and suffering but that doesn't mean we give up on it. Because it's through those men and women and even children that God is walking with us through our moments of pain, through our seasons of suffering, through our darkest of night, that we are in the shadow of death, that death is so close that we can see the shadow behind us, right? Like when you're walking down the street and how do you stay aware If you see shadow, you know somebody's coming up behind you. Like, that's how close death is. And in that moment, God is using people to walk with you. God is using people to help you take that next step. And ultimately, it's Christ. Christ who allows us to take that next step. Because the reality is, in the garden, he prayed, if it be your will, allow for me to move from this cup, right? Allow this cup to pass so that I don't have to die. But not my will, but yours be done. And if your will is through the waters, if your will is through the pain, if your will is through the suffering, if your will is death, I accept. Because I know it's good for me. Because I'm sure of who you are. I'm sure of what you've promised. And I don't know how quite to bridge that gap. So I lift up my songs of prayer. I lift up my songs of praise. I lift up my psalms of lament. It is through Christ and his willingness to go through the waters that we can take that step forward today. We read in, in Romans 8. Hold on. Wrong Bible. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is nothing you're going through. There is no pain you're enduring. There is no darkness of night that you're in the midst of. There is nothing that you're currently in or nothing you're going to face that will separate you from the love of God. And we need this love to be a love that's rooted in our hearts, not just in our minds. Because if we are not in that season right now and that season comes, we want to be prepared. We don't want to react, oh crap, where am I? Oh crap, how did I get in this situation? Because pain is pain and pain hurts. There is no moving beyond that. But what we can have is hope. We can have hope that one has given us in Christ. We can have hope that even if we do not get released on this earth, that we will meet him face to face, that there will be no crying, there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, no more suffering. It will all be wiped away because what Christ has done and what Christ has promised. Let us pray. Lord God, Father, I pray this morning that the truths of your word would root themselves deep into our heart. Whether we have just come out of a season of darkness, whether we're in the midst of it or whether one is coming, Lord God, may we be a people that cling to you. Lord God, that we would cling to you in prayer and that we would turn our questions and our anger and our angst to you, knowing that you are the only one that can satisfy, that you are the only one that can bring comfort. And when we wrestle with our doubts, when we wrestle with our questions, when we wrestle with our confusion, God, may we remember you. If we remember who you are, who you revealed yourself to be, that you are Abba, Father, that you are the strong arm, that you make miracles happen, God, that your love is unending, that your grace is never-ending, that your mercies are made new every morning. God, may we remember who you are. God, may we remember what you've done, that just as you delivered your people through the Red Sea, you have delivered us through Christ, and that through his death and his sacrifice, we have access to you. And we have the only source of hope because you have provided it in Christ that one day we will sit with you in joy. We will sit with you in peace and in freedom and we will celebrate because Christ died for us. Lord, I pray that you would, God, that you would provide healing to our hearts. May the truth for some of us hit us upside the head because that's what we need. But for some of us, would your truth just be like a balm on our hearts? Bring softness to our hard hearts. That brings warmth to our cold hearts. God, remind us of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.